0: This, 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 this show is brought to you by
1: Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebound and Safety. This week is episode two of our quarterly co-host. So let's jump into the intro, and I'll tell you some more about it.
0: The problem in safety
1: What's up, Pete? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the team. We're here to change the perception of health and safety. We do that here on YouTube, and we do that on the podcast as well. So if you're new here, hit that subscribe button, all the bells and whistles and buttons that do magical algorithm-y things to get me in other people's ear holes and faces. So today's episode is... She's back again. Laura is our quarterly co-host. Laura Olcott from the HSE Recruitment Network is our quarterly co-host. And me and Laura are talking to, Laura and I, Laura and I, are talking to CEOs, operational directors. And today we're talking to the MD of a trade association. Trade association? What is that? You might say. Well, I work for a trade association in a day, and the trade association is exactly what it says on the tin. Members are companies that work within that trade or that profession or that industry. And they join the association. And that association guides them, supports them, talks to the government for them, and so on and so forth. It's a very, very interesting thing. And honestly, honestly, I think they're undervalued in the UK. And I think they've got massive, massive potential. So if you're not part of one and you're running a business or you're a safety professional within your business, I strongly advise you to start engaging with your trade association. So without further ado, let's jump into the intro. I'm going to let Laura introduce herself and the guest today. And uh, we'll get chatting about what safety looks like through the eyes of a CEO of a trade association. But before we do that, a quick message from our sponsors. So... Project Meletium, don't forget to check them out. It's my company. It's all about professional development for the safety and risk profession. A mix of weekly calls, monthly book clubs, and a quarterly wagon wheel, which is essentially a mastermind event of keynotes and workshops and the like. Our customers at the moment are absolutely loving it. The community is really starting to thrive and we've been only going three months. So don't miss this opportunity. It is just amazing. I knew it was going to be good because when me and Colin from the Interest and Safety podcast put this together, we were like, yes, this is what the industry has been missing, some support, some cognitive diversity, a community together, sorting each other out, helping each other solve problems, helping each other innovate, helping connect with what's out there. It's basically a massive brain. It's a master mind. We knew it was going to be good, but the feedback we're getting off members, members are telling us that, They wouldn't have been able to do what they're doing now if it wasn't for Project Meletium, even within the first three months. It's members are telling us this is the best thing they've had in 10 years of being in a profession. Members are telling us that they'd lost their passion for health and safety, and this community has helped them find their passion again. It makes me so happy to hear these words. Um, One of my favorite feedback we get from members is, is it groundbreaking? I don't know yet, but it's definitely not full of knobheads. Great great feedback. So if you're thinking it's for you, go to www.projectmiletium.com. I'll put a link in the description, or you can message me or email me, james at reboundingsafety.com, and I'll get you on, on a call for free, or DM me on LinkedIn, and I'll get you on a call for free. And finally, one last note from our sponsor of Rebranding Safety YouTube and podcast is Paradigm Human Performance HSE Subscription Service. Their HSE Subscription Service is perfect for that SME that's spinning those plates all the time and they're looking for some more support. They don't want health and safety to be seen as an unaffordable luxury. They don't want establishing a foundation of legal, regulatory and industry compliance out of reach for the employer. Paradigm Human Performance's global mission is to make the workplace healthier, safer, more respectful places where employers, employees are recognized for their contribution and their subject matter expertise. So if you want to make worker safety the DNA of your organization, a great way to make this reality is Paradigm's HSE subscription service. So go check them out. I've got all the emails, phone numbers in the description below. Or if you're not sure, you can go to their website and check out their webinar first so that you can go to their weekly webinar. You can see the team. You can get a sense from them. You can start to see they really do know what they're talking about um, before you buy it. So try it before you buy it. Great option. And for me, you know, I wholly endorse what Paradigm are doing, you know, Teresa, the founder of Paradigm, she's pretty much involved in everything I do. I absolutely love the lady and the whole team are just absolutely outstanding and they're growing and growing and growing like mad. And the best is these guys are hop experts. They're human and organizational experts. So this is not the kind of compliance service that you have to unlearn or declutter in five years, 10 years time. This is already decluttered. It's already streamlined. It's already got hop at the core, at the nucleus of what it does. Listen to the way they talk about it. Having worker safety as part of their DNA. So this is not something you're going to have to tear apart in a few years because you've just been on a HOP webinar or something like that. So hopefully that makes sense to you. Hopefully it will help you out. I really do think it will, and we wholly support what they do. Um, Otherwise, we wouldn't have partnered with them. So go check out their details in the description below. But otherwise, let's jump into the episode of The Quarterly Co-Host with Laura Orcott, Episode 2. This comes. Right. Thank you both. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Laura, do you want to get straight into it and give yourself an introduction as the quarterly co-host and then
0: uh, introduce our guest for the day as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so thanks for having me back, James. Clearly didn't scare you off the first time, which is good. Um, so, yeah, for anyone that doesn't know me, I'm Laura. I'm an associate director at HSE Recruitment. Um, I won't bore you with all the sales talk. It does what it says on the tin. We're a a safety recruitment company. Um, One of the things we're really, really passionate about is trying to make health and safety better as an industry. Um, And the way that we want to do that is by helping with CPD, you know, um, putting on roundtables, doing podcasts, all this sort of fun stuff that can really help your, your professional development. Um, So what I wanted to do with this quarterly co-hosting is look at health and safety from a different angle and look at the challenges um, that businesses face and C-suite professionals face. Um, The reason I think that's really, really important is, um, you know, health and safety people, we've absolutely got leadership skills in spades. But for some reason, we don't seem to necessarily climb the ladder all the way up to, to board into CEO, CO, COO positions, whereas you know, other, uh, other professions seem to lend themselves more to that. So I think if we're going to help make health and safety better, we need to really understand business. We need to really understand challenges. We've got to be more commercial. Um, and the only way we're going to do that is by talking to people who, <laughs> who do that job. So Richard has very, very kindly agreed to come and have a chat to us today. Um, I will let Richard introduce uh, himself. Um, Richard, though, is CEO of the Frozen Food Federation. So I hope you're making notes, James, because you're a, a federation employee as yourself, aren't you? So, um, yeah, a Richard, do you want to- <laughs> Richard, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, well... First of all, thank you for inviting me along. Um, yeah, my background's quite varied actually. Um, whilst at the moment I'm a CEO of the actually, it's the British Frozen Food Federation, which oh, is what wow, I interesting to, to point <laughs> out. Um But I, I really started my career um, in a serious way. I was the CEO of a uh, frozen pizza business here in the UK, it was a German based business. Um, and I basically set it up in um, um, 1994 from – it was almost scratch. Um right. And it was a really interesting role because it was very much multifaceted. We were a relatively small operation here in the UK. We, we ended up – by the time I, I left, um, we had about 12 employees, mm-hmm. um, but we did a, um, um, an immense turnover. And because of the role, you were very much a multidisciplinary You know, you had to do a little bit of marketing, you had to do um, a a little bit of um, distribution and logistics, Mm -hmm. PR, you know, the whole thing. Um, And what it gave you was a, a real sort of good rounded overview of the way a business runs.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and the Germans were always very keen on understanding the numbers. So you had to be really on top of your financials as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and it was a it was a great business to work for. We were the in fact the business now is the largest producer of private label frozen pizzas in the world. Uh, I think they produce something like three million pizzas a day. Wow. Um, <laughs> across the different operations. So, they've got four or five factories in Germany, they've got one in Austria, uh, they've got uh, several in America, um, and they've got uh, a chilled operation here in the UK. And in fact, I was um, a non-exec director in the uh, UK business as well,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, which gave me, I think, quite a unique insight to see the way a UK business run, uh, a way a German business run, uh, and how a business in between the two ran. Um, so it was, it was quite interesting. And in fact, I'd actually say one of the most interesting things was the difference in attitude around health and safety. As a non-executive um, at Stateside, uh, which was our sister company, we obviously had um, monthly board reports, and an integral part of that was the health and safety report. Mm. Um, Obviously, for you running a couple of factories, you had to make certain that that staff were safe. There was lots of machinery. There was lots of movement of of, um, forklift trucks and lorries and things like that. Um, And it was very interesting to see the different way the Germans approached health and safety to the way the Brits did. Um, and we were much more about legislation and much more about having health and safety people in overseeing what was happening, whereas the German factories took much more of a personal responsibility role. Right. And whilst, whilst there was legislation around it. Um, and they took it very seriously. There were some very slight differences and slight nuances, which were really quite interesting. So my my background is is pretty varied. Um, I was with the, the the pizza business for 22 years. Um, I'm involved in all sorts of areas of, of the pizza industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also involved with the British Frozen Food Federation, both as a member um, and as a supporter of the federation over many years. Um, Also, as part of my role within the pizza industry, I was also involved in PAPA, which is the Pizza, Pasta and Italian Fine Food Association. Uh, And I've sat as a member of their management board now for something like 14, 15 years. And in fact, I was their first chairman. Um, And we used to represent the industry um, in discussions with people like Public Health England, Right, yeah. um, uh, in, around salt targets and in fact I was one of the the lead on uh, negotiating and discussing with uh, Department of Health on salt targets stretching way back 2006 when they first come out so I, I got to um, a point in uh, Freiburger um, I got to my just before my 60th birthday I offered me the opportunity to take early retirement which I did uh, I then run my own small consultancy business for a couple of years. And then I was approached in t- late 2018 by the British Frozen Food Federation to come in as their CEO, which I started in March of 2019. Um, and I've basically been there for two years. Um, yeah. I've got great experience. And one of our real key strengths in the Federation is health and safety.
3: Good. Um, good to so, hear that.
2: <laughs> um, I' definitely had to learn how to run a federation. I still don't think I understand it fully, uh, but I've got a really, really good team around me um, and they are very supportive and we've been making quite a few changes um, over the last sort of two years. Obviously, the first year was learning, setting mm-hmm. a new strategy, but then the last year has basically been dealing with COVID. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's me.
0: Good. Well, really good overview. So basically, if it's pizza, pasta, or if it's frozen, you're the man. You you know it. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, that was a really helpful overview. Thank you. I appreciate you sort of walking us through that because like you said, yeah, it is quite a varied background and and you've worn many different hats, um, but you've definitely been working at C-suite level for, you know, for a number of years, haven't you, to quite a senior level. So one of the things I think that we do struggle with in, in health and safety is just understanding that board level understanding the complexities of it understanding um you know what things are important to them what things you know make a business tick um and a huge push that we're doing at the moment is we're really really pushing on soft skills and leadership development and things like that in the in the safety world so from your experience do you think there are particular skills that you need to work to that sort of senior level to be a, a c suite professional what would stand out for you
2: I think, I, I think probably one of the key things is the soft skills. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you've got to believe that if someone gets to a senior position where they're being considered for a board position, they're probably fairly competent at the health and safety role. Right? <laughs> they probably know how to deliver that bit. you hope, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you would think so, that they probably understand the legislation. They would understand, you know, how to put that in place within any business. But I think where they then need to get to is they need to have that ability to communicate that. Um, at a number of different levels. Mm-hmm. So it's about talking to the other departments in a business so that they understand. Um, I suppose it, what it comes down to really is quite often health and safety can be seen to be a blocker. It, it's a yeah. thing that you have to do in order to satisfy the health and safety manager. Whereas what I think they should be doing is to try and explain the value that they can add to a business. Mm -hmm. And it is clear that they can add value to the business. I mean, if you think about these days, one of the key topics around the health and safety world is talking about the mental health of employees. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I think for a long time we've always talked about health and safety being about, you know, safeguarding people for large bits of kit that might fall in them or, you know, machinery that might trap them. But more and more we're beginning to see that actually health and safety people need to look at, the uh, workforce in a more holistic way it's not Mm -hmm. just about making certain they don't trap their fingers or or get run over by a forklift truck they've also (laughs) got to try and understand you know what their mental attitudes are and that's particularly important over the last 12 months with covid yeah a lot of people working from home Um, you know, a lot of stress. I mean, there's a lot of businesses, even if the the businesses has actually continued to operate, they may have actually reduced their workforce, which basically means that those that are left working are actually under more pressure.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And and that does have impacts on people's, you know, state of mind. Um, And so I think it's that sort of thing that i health professionals can start to explain that actually what they do is for the benefit of the whole business. It's not just about, you know, saving someone from being run over by that faultless (laughs)
0: truck. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: And and I do think that sort of communication skill is really important for yeah um,
0: I, I think you're preaching to the converted here I'm with sure. that richard i mean i know james will have loads to say on the perception of health and safety as a blocker and and changing that perception that's pretty much the entirety of what this podcast is for isn't yeah. it james about yeah. Yeah. changing that brand changing the way that, that we're perceived in the marketplace
1: yeah. yeah definitely and and to your point richard it, it comes through it comes through action really i think we you know you I like. I, I can't remember where I saw it, but they the kind of be the change you want to see. For me, I think it's just it's positive to hear that message from yourself. In that, for 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 the listeners that potentially are working on that stuff and 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 developing those skills, because we are, to Laura's point, talking about this all the time now, and you know, there's even a debate within the profession as to you know which is more important and are we actually trained to have those kind of skills because mm. it would be a fair challenge to say i think that they're not necessarily skills just for a director of safety i would probably say they're skills for a safety professional regardless yeah. of where you are because we're so vital
2: I wouldn't, dis- to- I wouldn't i would disagree with you james yeah. i I, I, th- I think more and more it's about communication what the, what the role is across across all levels of the business. Mm. Uh, And and I do wonder whether there is that opportunity. I mean, I I did listen to one of your earlier podcasts, and it was about how how safety professionals change the way that they are perceived. Mm. Uh, And I do think, you know, if you actually start to help something that's very visible in terms of your workforce, I do believe that's an opportunity to change perception about what health and safety is. Because, you know, up until, I mean, if you, if, sorry, I keep talking about, you know, being run over by a forklift lift truck because, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very visible thing, isn't it? But, of course, that only happens every so often. You know, when the health and safety professional comes into their own is when something goes wrong and they, they're there and they can they can prove that all the right things have been done and that they make certain all the training's been done. Um, and it's only then you sort of go, well, actually, yeah, that they're worth their weight in gold. But if you can actually see that more visibly on a day-to-day basis about the way they're helping employees, I I, I think it has an opportunity to change the way that health and safety professionals are seen by industry. Mm-hmm. That They're actually more of an integral part of running a business as mm-hmm. opposed to just being there when it all goes wrong. Yeah. Or, or being there to stop it going wrong, I suppose, yeah. is, is the better way to put it.
1: Do, do you think richard like working for a trade association are the requirements of a safety professional different uh than than say if you work for a corporate company i'll just because i i am the head of safety for a trade association and and actually some of the stuff we are doing in conversations with government lobbying government you know I, i'm in a much more kind of long-term strategic mind as to I need to understand my members from a holistic point of view, like why they might make that decision, or or how to influence them. But you know, things like lobbying government, Jesus, you know, I've never done that in my entire career, and and all of a sudden we're writing letters to the to the government, and it's just yeah. like, whoa, yeah. this is this is interesting. Is it is it different or is it the oh, same?
2: Absolutely. I mean, in fact, one of the skills of of my lead on health and safety, a guy called Simon Brenton, is he's actually a pretty good communicator. Mm. you know and and um and in fact he's he's a very quick learner as well yeah. i mean so obviously through this year we've we've had to um change to doing much more things by 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 zoom and and, yeah. <laughs> and, and tombs meetings and that and simon has come on leaps and bounds in the way he presents uh and the way he talks um yeah so he i think he absolutely gets it that um You've got to communicate in a different way, and he's very good at it. Um, I, you know, he's uh, it, as I think you all understand. You know, health and safety at times can be a pretty dry subject. I mean, it's it's almost akin <laughs> to presenting on accounting, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, but, but but he can actually bring it to life, and he's really yeah. good at bringing practical examples. So, so he did a, um, a really good thing. I mean, even before we got into COVID, we ran um, a special seminar which was a hands-on seminar about uh, composite panels. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what he did was he worked with uh, Lincolnshire Fire and Rescue, um, and they actually got a composite panel into a yard and set fire to it for a group of people to actually see what it did. Yeah. Um, And it was a real practical example. If you don't do things right, just, just how critical it could be for you. Yeah. um and he's really good at, at getting those practical demonstrations for people
0: yeah. um
2: yeah. and so yeah i i think the role of health and safety in a federation james is fundamentally different yeah. you are you are trying to educate uh, your membership um yeah. you're trying to educate them you're trying to support them um and you're right you have to have a longer term view yeah mm.
1: um, and it is it, it's kind of like When I look at it from my own experiences, I've only been in the trade association for, I started in July last year. So, you know, coming up on a year in a few months, but already it's kind of like those influencing skills that I've developed over my career. It's that on steroids because how we're trying (laughs) to kind of influence our members who you know my trade association is the entire supply chain so i'm talking to some serious heavy manufacturing to kind of mid-range manufacturing and then sole traders in a way and it, it's really interesting to kind of understand the different dynamics of all those different companies but then us at the trade association have very little power really whereas in a company i might have a bit of power to be able to support me, whereas here it's all about to your exactly you hit the nail on the head, Richard, I think, is it's education. It's education, education, education. For me, that's all we can do as you keep getting the information out. So I think it is kind of different to a point in that it's maybe what we would do originally, but maybe a bit more challenging because um, everything's kind of, to my point, on steroids. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah. I also think it's about looking for the future. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, need, you need to look you know a, a part of the problem with with so many health and safety professionals that are embedded in a business it's it, sometimes you know it's difficult to to get past the cold face mm. you know you're just there you know do, doing your day-to-day work and making it so that it works and sometimes it's difficult to be able to look look to a the, look towards the horizon um and i think that's one of the roles that a federation can play it can help um um raise people's view that says look this is what's coming um and am also pretty good i think at taking what might be a problem for a particular member and getting a collaborative approach mm. um and that works really well you know that that really is a, a, a great way to um to bring things together and that's one of one of the strengths of 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 our federate i'm sure yours as well james is actually bringing people together so that they talk to one another and then you actually get some amazing results out of it
3: yeah and and
2: and, and i think you know that that's a real key key attribute of of good communication
0: I was yeah. quite interested in in something you both kind of touched on there, in that um, Richard, you mentioned how Simon has sort of come on over the past year with with communication and things like that. James, you said you know your influencing skills have developed, and COVID has been a big part of this. It, it you know it's thrown health and safety into the forefront in a lot of companies. Um, one thing I've always been interested in is whether we think these these soft skills, you know, the, the leadership, the communication, are they things that are innate in us? Are they things that we can develop, that we can learn? Do you, I mean, Richard, do you think you've always had that skill set or is that um, something you've well,
2: built? I've, I've always been known as a bit of a gobby bugger. Um, <laughs> so, um I, 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 I say, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I do think you can learn those skills. I, I don't i don't think you know good communication is not the you know you you don't you're not born with it you you, you can learn it there are certain yeah. things that you learn um how to communicate to people um and yeah of, of course people can learn it and i think it's important that 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 if you're a, if you're a professional in, in a certain area that you must communicate with let, let's say your 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 fellow your colleagues and your your directors so mm-hmm. um you know if you're in a if you're in a business, everyone works in a certain discipline. So whether you're in marketing, whether you're in accountancy, whether you're in ops, but but business will only work if you all communicate together. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't you can't work in silos. Silos don't work. You you have to communicate. So I, I actually think it's it's almost a prerequisite skill. When, <laughs> as you go up the chain. The more and more you go, the more and more you have to communicate. And yeah. I, I, take, I, take, I take a James, earlier point that it's you know, good communication is, is not the, the sole province of, of C suite, it should all be all the way through the business.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and the more you communicate, the, be, the better people will understand, you know, w- what the challenges are, um, how you can actually improve the business, how you can enable them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're also seeing, um, we're also seeing we've got to communicate in different ways. So yeah. if if you think about us getting a health and safety message across to a 24- and 25-year-old, it is fundamentally different to getting it across to a 55-year-old.
3: <laughs> yeah, right? completely. They want,
2: they want to absorb it in a totally different way. And we are seeing more and more people using, you know, mobile apps for people to do training on. Um, And, you know, okay, the 55-year-old might not accept it, but sure as hell the 25-year-old will only want to do it that way. That's the only way you'll really get to them. Uh, And I think that's also a challenge, especially for the the more senior um, c suite People, yeah, where they've suddenly got to adopt, you know, new new methods of communication. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and some do it readily. Um, um, others find it a bit more of a challenge. Um, but you know, you've you've definitely got to embrace that. Uh, and I suppose it's not a lot different from things like automation coming into a business. You know, yeah, if, true. If if, yeah. if you're a if you're a board director and your ops manager come or your ops director comes in and says, look, you know, yeah. we're going to put automatic palletization in. Um, you, you don't sit there and go, well, no, I don't, I don't like technology. <laughs> you know, you yeah. just go, oh, fantastic! You, you, you know, you're about to drive a huge amount of cost out of their business. But it's the same way, you know, with a with a, a um, health safety um, a director saying, look, I'm, I'm, we need to communicate with our employees in a different way. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's just a similar challenge.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, and it's it's a really easy thing to forget those differences in communication because we've definitely been guilty of it ourselves you know as recruiters we've been around for decades we do things in the same way yeah um and yeah. we got to a point where yeah you're putting you're putting adverts out you're trying to attract new exciting people and they're not they're not attracted by the traditional job description and the bullet points yeah. and you, you've, you've got to speak to them in their sort of language
3: yeah
0: um so yeah i, I completely agree i think that's a really important point uh, do you think, oh well, sorry james go oh uh, you go well, no, I was just going to ask you, yeah, if you, if you find the same.
1: <laughs> I think to, to Richard's point, I think a real key thing here is understanding the, the, the diverse nature of these skills.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and I think that there's two points to that. One, I think pe- <clears throat> some people have in, inherent traits in themselves that make this, the softer skills really easy. Some people are naturally better communicators than others and some people are naturally not great communicators but that normally means they're better at something else so you you get those people or you get those people who are like you know unbelievably academic really intelligent stereotypically horrendous communicators But you've seen then you've seen someone like Chris Whitty who fits that stereotype, but then becomes an an unbelievable communicator. And there's a mm. there's a, another lady who who we saw a lot through COVID. I can't remember her name, um, but she, from my opinion, was outstanding. One of the best communicators I've ever seen, especially someone that can take a very complex message and make it very simple or mm. very layman terms, so to speak. But I think for us as maybe leaders if we're employing or, or yourself, especially Laura, I think that the point is that, yes, I think we can teach it. Yes, I think it can take time, um, but I, I do think we can teach it, but inherently we can't remove the the, the fact that it's harder for some people than it is mm. for other people. Um, so, so for me, it's acknowledging that and saying, okay, this person – struggles with with good communication or, or what whatever we think you know maybe it's not good maybe it's bad you know at least maybe even putting a value on it is not the right way to look at it but I think acknowledging that it's challenging for some people and not for others and means that we can then deal with with it I think a lot of the time we go, Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do the soft skills. Yeah, let's get these soft skills. These are really important. We, we need to all focus on the soft skills. But you look at some of the soft skills, uh, they're kind of like a lot of times they're called relational skills or relationship skills. Yeah. You know, you talk about having empathy and being caring. They're inherently female traits. So for, for males, it's kind of genetically or stereotypically speaking a bit harder for us to do that. So... You know, are we going to start seeing an influx of of women into the safety profession? Well, hopefully, because we could do with a bit of diversity. But
0: weirdly, we actually already are. You know, awesome. that's something I've already noticed is the shift in diversity recently. Right. I think the last the last four or five uh, shortlists that I've been doing, we've had a disproportionate amount of women, which we've never seen um, before. So it's right. definitely turning yeah. that way. So, which I, is- I, would,
2: I would disagree with you, though, James. I actually well, don't good. think. I don't think that. Um, uh, it's a gender thing. Um, I, I've seen some fantastic presenters uh, that are female. I've seen some terrible presenters that are female. <laughs> yes, and I've right. seen exactly the same for males. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it is that it, those that are good at what they talk about. Um, sometimes, yes, they've been trained to do it. And you're also right, some people have a natural skill at doing it. But I do think if you're bad at it, you can still be trained to be better definitely yeah you you can Mm -hmm. you can definitely improve what you do and and you asked me uh, the the, the start of this was was how do you get to be a c-suite um and and you're a health and safety professional well i to me makes sense you're a good communicator because you need to explain why you do things Mm -hmm. and how you can benefit the company Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you know I, I think we're, we're straying into the point of how do you make everyone a better communicator well you're never <laughs> going to do that and what you're going to do is you're going to get the good health and safety professionals who are the good communicators whether they be male or female will make it onto boards yes and
3: that, that yeah, is yeah, yeah.
2: that is the reality of life yeah and, so ch- and, and the ones that don't get there might well be very competent what they do but just not very good at explaining it to their colleagues and their fellow directors.
0: Yeah, yeah it's it's a good point. It, it goes kind of hand in hand with a lot of the, the stuff yeah. I talk about, about yeah safety professional branding themselves yeah. Um. in that. Yeah, not everybody loves social media and not everybody is going to be able to do this. Yeah. But if you want to climb the ladder, yeah. unfortunately, you just you just have to. Yeah. You just have
2: to get good at it. I would actually argue I'm actually a really good example of someone who's actually a reasonable communicator and it's helped me climb the ladder. So I I left school with absolutely diddly squat qualifications. Oh, really? Absolutely nothing. Um, And I met someone uh, in my business career who was was quite inspirational and quite motivational, and he suggested I should really go and get some education. So I did night school. So oh, I did wow. about I did about five years of night school um, to learn some of the basics, um, and then because I'm actually quite good at talking to people, um, and I had that little bit of knowledge as well, Anna and then I actually was in the right place at the right time several occasions. <laughs> um, I, I, it, it, it just just helped me progress. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do think communications is is a is a, a really important area. Um, I think. Um I just want
1: to come back on on one of the points you made earlier um firstly don't don't apologize for disagreeing with me i love it when people disagree that sparks a good conversation but i think to, to maybe i didn't explain myself very well before but my that sounds very passive aggressive i didn't mean it like that <laughs> Um, like it sounds like you just—I've wrote an email. Maybe uh, J- I James. Very well. J- James, you know I, mean?
2: I spent twenty years dealing with retail <laughs> buyers. I can tell you, you will not sound aggressive to me in <laughs> any way, shape, <laughs> or form.
1: Passively, <laughs> passively, or or overtly. <laughs> So I think um, my 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 point was actually not that somebody couldn't get it. I think everyone can develop. I I think everyone can do anything in my general it depends on whether you put yourself to it put the work into it I think that if you've seen enough crazy stories out there that you think, how did that man or woman or person disabled person do that they just had the right positive mental attitude and a determination to do it so I think to your question Laura I think everybody can develop the skills I think what we have to acknowledge is that we are diverse. There is no one size fit all. And some people find communication or having empathy or building relationships or there's any of those softer skills more challenging than other people. And one example would be the fact that some a lot of them are female traits and male traits. But to your point, Richard, 100 percent, you know, I technically have male traits, but they were smashed out of me because I was raised <coughs> by women. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm much more that all of that stuff really suits me and it works for me because that's how I was raised. So I think but my, my kind of other point around diversity actually is is again when we communicate stuff out to both of your points, it's not a one size fit all again. So yeah. You've seen recruitment, Laura, which is you've you've kind of alluded to, which is absolutely amazing, doing videos. So there's loads yeah. of them now doing it video. You kind they of spat- all copied me, James. I started
0: yeah. it.
1: Well, I didn't <laughs> want to say it, that I think that I think you were the first one, but I'm sure if I say that, somebody will message me and say, No,
0: I was the first one. <laughs> but
1: you were definitely the first one I saw. And then after that, there was a flood, which I mm. like. I really, really like. But I think it's also acknowledging to Richard's point that some people can't stand that either. Yeah, <laughs> people are still whether that's and again the same ones good or bad is, is not the point. It's like how have we traditionally communicated safety out for years has been written for so long. Everything yeah. management system risk assessment blah blah blah, all written, and that's not been a problem for for a long time. Now our cultures are becoming a lot more diverse. There's a lot more people in our country that are. English is a second, third, fourth, fifth language, you know, and it's just that that's really challenging to read these complex safety documents. But if we look back at how when I, when I remember I've been a trainer for many years and when I was first trained a trainer, one of the first thing they tell you is there are several different learning types. There are kinetic learners, there are audio learners, there are visual and there are or reading reading learners or whatever they're called, Right. Yeah, in safety or, or in a lot of business communications, we only cater to one of those because, yes, yeah, true. Out. Yeah, like why are risk assessments not communicated out by video? Why don't companies have podcasts? Why don't companies have more conversations with each other, more workshops? To so your example, Richard, your safety professional got that composite panel and set mm-hmm. it on fire. Yeah. That, you know, that is just utilizing good techniques and diverse techniques to be able to say here's one way of, of learning and here's one way of communicating a message out it doesn't mean that you also type that up in a report and send it out for the people that just love to read stuff yeah so for me a lot of this stuff is about looking at this and going, it's it's not one size fits all my concern around this soft skills and the move towards digitalizations we also forget the people that don't like that stuff
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: like and, and, and for my yeah. So you're probably experiencing this as well, Richard. I don't know if you're anything like my trade associations. We used to have loads of meetings, loads of <coughs> members meetings, regional meetings, you know, safety committees, executive committees a lot, all gone onto to Zoom. Some, some of those groups, regions, committees, loving it. Some of them are like, oh, my God, I can do 7, 10, 15 meetings a day and I'm not spending hours and hours on the road. Whereas before, one GGF meeting would take me, you know, all day, for example. Some of them can't stand it, and (laughs) they cannot wait to get back face to face. So again, when we're having these conversations, oh should we should we go back to face to face? For me, it's like it's not a one size fits all. It's we need to work out, and and my boss kind of nailed it. It's like if we're going to have a hotel kind of conference room, it's a hotel conference room, but it must have video conferencing as well. So we're not forcing everyone to travel. So I think that's just one example of, of of kind of just being diverse, and I think.
2: I think the, the challenge. I think the challenge there, James, will be: how do you get the people that are joining electronically to engage as well as the people that are there physically? Yeah. It's no tough. Idea. I mean, it's I mean very when, tough. When, when you're all when you're all digital, uh, when you're there physically. Then everyone can 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 join in, yeah. and it, and in fact, if you're the chair and you see someone who's not engaging, you mm-hmm. can pull them in. Yeah.
3: Um.
2: And I personally find that very difficult on Zoom meetings, yeah. uh, because a) sometimes you can't see everyone. Yeah. Um. And so you you rely upon them to actually uh, engage. I mean, I had a I I've had a couple of um interesting experiences. I I launched in August of last year. Uh, special interest group on packaging uh-huh. reduction, uh, and originally I wanted to do it as a um, a physical meeting, um, and I think we had about thirty-four people joining the meeting, and I did like a f- first thirty-minute presentation on why I thought it was a good idea, what the background was, da 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 da, and then I went right, and I'd like comments now. Well, you just <laughs> heard the bloody cricket. I mean, it was it was it was, it was, it was awful. Um, and whereas if you had been in a, in a room, you could have seen people's body language. You could have, you could have said to someone, you know, come on. Anyway, I, I, fortunately I I knew a few people on the call and I managed to bring them in, but it was very difficult. Um, but, but having said that, I think in a way, James, you're right. I think what we're going to do is from COVID, we're going to go to a mix. We'll go to a mixture of physical meetings, online meetings. I, I think COVID has accelerated this. What was already starting to happen? But it's yeah. just accelerated. We probably move forward ten or fifteen years in in case yeah, of twelve absolutely. months. Absolutely, mm. is it, my is my view. It's just coming back to one of the points you made though about the one size doesn't fit all. I, I I think what we ought to think about as well is that it sometimes depends what sort of industry a health and safety professional is in to see what their standing is, and and how they need to react. So I would imagine that a health and safety professional in a heavy steel industry or a heavy industry probably needs to communicate differently to someone who's perhaps yeah. in a food factory.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Because obviously the, risks, the risk you know, the risks in, a, in, a, in a, a heavy industry are far greater mm. than they would be in a food factory. Mm. um uh, No less important for e- either place, but but the the standing of the health and safety professional in the heavy industry, would I think, would be quite different to one in a factory. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and, and that nature of the business. I think that's such a good point. Yeah, such a good point because we are, and this is not a criticism at recruitment. Before I continue on, later. hey,
0: whoa, whoa, I want you is, to say this is
1: not a criticism <laughs> of of any particular recruitment company but we are quite bad i think in in our industry of saying right i work in manufacturing i'm employing a safety person for manufacturing you must have a hundred years yeah. experience in manufacturing. Yeah, 100%. if you have ever worked anywhere else you are a bad safety professional and i don't <laughs> want you but actually yeah. like and i've struggled with that personally because i actually have a really diverse background. Like I started in manufacturing and then I've been in healthcare, housing. Now I'm in construction and manufacturing. Turns out the diversity of my career has helped me because we're really diverse at GGF. But my my point being is that I actually think my soft skills, particularly communication, have developed more because I've had a really diverse background. Because how I communicated in manufacturing very much lads, lads, quite, kind of like a construction site, heavy industry kind of manufacturing. All male, like yeah, do you know what I mean? Like not, not, not very much a modern workplace. I will say <laughs> that you kind of wolf whistles and stuff like. Not, I'm not proud of it. all right? but but it was the one way you're to not communicate. A wolf whistler, James. That's disgraceful. I wasn't there. No, he did He meant when he walked past yes <laughs> thank you for acknowledging that richard thank you for picking that up. um but that that was the kind of environment do you know what i mean it was a yeah. like real stereotypical lads environment and that was how i was taught to communicate in manufacturing and then i go and get yeah. a job in healthcare and it's like oh, oh hell no you can't communicate like that in healthcare do you know what i mean very yeah. different and then i realized or oh, you know i was really lucky when i worked in the nhs but to cover so many different areas, and then realise, oh well, Jesus, this is actually the different regional ways to communicate as well. And then end up in a in a national role in a housing association, and I'm like, Jesus, there's there's even north south different ways to communicate. So it, diversity is a really good thing, and I think exposure to these things is, is really really interesting. And I think you fit the nail on the head there, Richard. I think that it's it's really interesting when you see different industries. Different cultures, different regions, all of these people have different nuances and sometimes yeah. very, not nuances, sometimes seriously different ways of communicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's a good thing to have a real diverse background i think it's a i think it's a bonus in my opinion but i'd be
0: interested in your opinion laura as a recruiter (laughs) well this is why i like talking to you james because we we do think along the same sort lines i completely agree with you i for the exact reasons you said that the reason diversity is a big thing is that you get different perspectives so why would that not be the same for diverse industries you get different perspectives from the different areas you've been in unfortunately our hands are often tied by clients mm. manufacturing companies in particular love people from manufacturing that, okay. that's it and we can talk to them about diverse backgrounds and how that builds your soft skills and your communication Till the cows come home but sometimes you are banging your head against a brick wall um but yeah hundred percent agree with you i i don't see why If you're, you know, just because you're a manufacturing company, you must have someone from a manufacturing environment. If they are a good, technically competent safety person, they'll be able to apply the legislation and the things they've learned and the approach into any industry. Mm. But what they will bring is that different perspective. Yeah. Oh well we do things slightly different over here we talk about it different ways we we use apps instead of you know paper risk assessments they'll bring something new so yeah reaching to the converted as always but um hands get tied I remember <laughs> by, um, by clients unfortunately
1: i remember uh p- applying for the job i'm in now and i remember seeing the application and it said experience required and it just listed off like loads of different industries and i oh, was really like, that's good i was like Hmm, this is interesting. Maybe this is the one job that I've been working towards all these years. You know, <laughs> Maybe my diversity is not going to hinder me this time. And then as I realized, as to the trade association, because we are a weird kind of trade association, really, and that we represent the entire supply chain, so manufacturers all the way down to sole traders, they, it was actually then a benefit because they wanted So you know, if I'd have only worked in construction, I wouldn't have had... Very much uh, understanding or, or mm. kind of em- empathy for the challenges of manufacturing and vice versa, um, which was really interesting. But you're, to your point, Laura, I've never seen that before. It's always been yeah, it's must unusual have manufacturing, and then. Mm will maybe consider something else. But you're right, manufacturing is one of the worst.
0: Yeah, it is changing. And I think the pandemic has had an impact on that. Absolutely. You know, all the clients I'm talking to at the moment, we're really pushing them because it's a tough market to move people you know, people have been through a really harrowing 12 months. They've, you know, in health and safety, usually been treated quite well, so they want to stay put. They don't want to move. So we're saying to clients, you have to be more flexible. You just have to. Yeah. And you're going to have to trust us that we're going to look at competencies, we're going to look at culture, and we're going to find you the right match. But they may not come from your nearest competitor mm. 10 miles yeah. down the road. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, <yeah. laughs> it's just the way it is at the moment.
2: But that's 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 about that's about that's about a CEO trying to limit the risk.
0: Yeah, it it is. I mean, it is, you know,
2: it's, I mean, you know, quite clearly when, when you bring someone into a business at a senior level, you, you, you do the absolute best. I, I, it takes quite a long time to to recruit. Um, And secondly, you want to make certain you're bringing someone in that's going to hit the ground running because quite often you've recruited because the person that was there before has has gone quite yeah. often that can be unexpected you know I mean, even if you've got someone locked into a contract and they walk in and go right you know I'm going to go so even if you've got them a three month notice period you know you'll you're, you're going to be lucky to get someone in before they walk out yeah. the door Very um, true. and and so you know you don't want you don't want someone walking in who's never been in a food factory in their life has just come <laughs> from from making yeah. steel girders and says, "Well, okay, I'm not exactly where I'm going to start here." So, yeah. so that's about that's about CEOs minimising the risk. Um, but, but I don't, I don't disagree with you that I think it's really important to get people in that look at your business in a different way, mm. because they might just look at it in a way that you've never done before, um, and make some a massive improvements.
3: Yeah. So that
2: goes for any skill, really. Yeah. So I've
1: got a question for you off the back of that, then, Richard, because that's a really interesting point that you bring up, and I, and I think the second you said, it, I was like, yeah, that that's spot on. They're, they're minimizing <laughs> the risk because, yeah. and, and I suppose you know, uh, I can't remember who told me this. I think it was my wife, but recruiting someone actually costs so much more than just the salary. Like God, correct. it does. Yeah, it's like yeah, d- yeah. double the salary or something like that. I can't remember. Um, Yeah,
0: in terms of time and effort and
1: all of that. Mm. then fees and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So so you're trying to minimise that risk. You're spending a hell of a lot of money on this. And you get, what, an application, a CV, and a couple of interviews. So how does – how do we kind of solve that problem in a way? Like, and that's a huge question for me to ask you, Richard, but this is quite a nice little – rabbit hole considering we've got safety professional ceo and a a recruiter in a call (laughs) would we have if we're ever going to solve
2: a problem it's now i I think it's i think it's a really difficult one james um you know i'd 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 like to say that there I there is a scientific approach to it but there's not um and and i i hope you 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 semi-agree with me i I completely agree if i could get an
0: algorithm to get it right i'd be a millionaire
2: You'll do all your you'll do all your checks, you know. You'll, you'll ask them questions that relate to their industry, and you know, what, what how would you solve this and that? You, you do all that, but ultimately, it comes down to gut feel. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I I um I'm such a big believer in in gut feeling. Like when when we're recruiting people for our clients, we, you know, we have a very very thorough process. We go through competencies and right. cultures and all of that, and make sure that we're getting the right answers but there there is always still a bit of me that knows in my gut wh- which way it's going to go and that's yeah. but that's just you know I've been doing yeah. it for 12 11 yeah. 12 years
2: yeah. and and you've also got to work on the basis that quite often I mean unless you're unless you're recruiting for a very large multinational you're going to be bringing someone into what is a relatively small team
3: Yeah, I mean, even,
2: even, it is even, yeah even, even at a board level so you know let, let let's say you know an average uh, you know company might might have sort of Six board members, right? So you're going to be bringing someone in. You've got to make certain they fit culturally.
3: Oh, 100%. I mean,
2: you know, round pegs and square holes don't work. Um, And so you've got to make certain they they fit with the rest of the board. Uh, Even if they're coming at a senior management level, you've got to make certain they fit within the rest of the management team. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, I mean, going further down the scale, I've always always recruited for attitude um, um, rather than skill. I love that.
1: Yeah. I love that you just said that, Richard. I think <laughs> I, I've been having conversations recently about, about this. And that you know what? I feel like I'd be a recruiter's worst nightmare if I was recruiting someone. Because oh I, god, I, James. I just I feel <laughs> like I would because they'll be like, right, what are you after? And I'll be like, I don't care about Nebosh, I don't care about Ayash, oh, I don't care about any of that stuff. But what I want is attitude. I want a good attitude. I want to sit in a room yeah. with them. And and this may be, I get this is controversial and I get for a CEO, this would be like, huh? You don't want any kind of, obviously I do like, obviously the qualification, I get that. But for me, I would rather employ in my team, somebody from a safety point of view that is underqualified, but has a passion and has a good positive attitude and is a cultural fit because I can work on their skills and I can work on their qualifications
2: the, the, the only problem I'd have with that James is that you would need to recruit them to a certain level because if you did put them in a role of health and safety and something went wrong and the health and safety executive came in and, to look at your business and said you have just recruited someone who actually wasn't qualified to do the job you have put them in you may have a slight problem in life well, I get
1: that I get that
2: but, but- <laughs> Uh, I, I, I take your point that it depends where you, where you bring them in at. Huh?
1: I um, completely uh, uh, agree uh, uh, with that point. Yeah. The problem is is the way that we qualify people in the safety profession. In my humble opinion, it doesn't make a safety professional. Okay. Well, if, you. If you can have a NEBOSH general, and you can have, be. I I've seen people that are IOS chartered fellow, mm-hmm. and then they're terrible safety professionals. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen people that are great safety professionals that are chartered fellows, and I've seen people that wouldn't even register. I was talking to a marketing professional the other day. I was actually on a panel with a marketing professional, um, Global Series Laura. Um, I saw it. Yeah,
3: I saw. And,
1: um, and she was outstanding. And in the preamble meeting we had, she was talking away and talking away. And she was like, oh, I'm not a safety professional. And I'm like, I beg to differ based on the last half an hour conversation (laughs) I've had with you. Yeah, She would not qualify to be a safety professional in any way, shape or form. But she was damn better than a lot of safety
0: professionals I've spoken to. Well, Mm -hmm. luckily for you guys, I sit smack bang in the middle of, (laughs) of those opinions. So I completely agree with both sides. And the thing that I really push with my clients is, like I said earlier, the flexibility on it is I agree, we cannot be so prescriptive to say I will only speak to chartered members of IOSH from a manufacturing background, you know, with 20 years experience, they're the only people I will speak to, we cannot be that prescriptive. However, Richard, I also completely agree that there, there has to be a level of uh, yeah, obligation.
2: I, I, I think in certain certain areas yeah um, you know you have to have a competence but exactly I, I don't i don't disagree with you james i think bringing someone in that perhaps isn't as fully qualified as you'd like um and but seeing the right attitude yeah. um is is absolutely they are the people that uh, make businesses
0: they and that tends to be where
2: we land, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, um, I mean, I've I've met the um, I've I've met sort of a lot of technical people in my life, especially um, uh, auditors around factories, mostly mostly food safety. Um, and and I've, I I've met them that you wouldn't let in the door. Mm-hmm. I've <laughs> also, I've also met them that you think, God, I wish I could employ you. Yeah, yeah. you're really good at what you do, mm-hmm. um, and it is it's a, about attitude.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. We we massively go for culture first, yeah. and then we look at the qualification side. That's so it seems like fit,
2: though. that's about the fit, isn't it's it? It's about all? the
0: fit. Yeah, they, exactly.
2: They've got to fit. If they don't fit, they've got to fit. Yeah, Yeah.
0: hundred yeah. percent. And then if you you know if you're looking for diploma, but they've got the right fit, and maybe they're studying diploma, or you know they've mm. gone a different route. That's okay. Yeah. But. There's, yeah, I think it's that middle ground of they have to be qualified to a certain extent, but we can be flexible about how qualified, which route, as long as the fit is there. So yeah, well, do
2: you find do you find Laura that there's a bigger challenge now with automation coming into into more and more industry that 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 you know the the safety professionals have got to get their head around what that actually means for business. Yeah, we've we actually. Of- of, of oh, well, uh, manufacturing i mean yeah. I, right, yeah. um, I mean i mean i mentioned earlier that i was um i was a non-exec director at stateside and after i'd left the group um i, I went back to visit them because they're still friends of mine and uh they took me around the factory and they just put automatic palletizers in right yeah, I'm with you. yeah. Um, i mean you know um totally revolutionized that end of the business
3: mm-hmm.
2: but but i'm sure, sure brought a lot of um issues for the health and safety people because yeah absolutely of the
0: way we we actually did a um i think i spoke on it actually at our conference a couple of years ago about the the, the fourth industrial revolution and what that what that means how that's going to impact the safety world and yeah 100 but this is again to me why that soft skill side of it is important because you've got to be able to adapt um because things are going to change now at at um, a crazy crazy rate you mentioned things accelerating earlier yeah. and that's what we're finding particularly with technology it's suddenly growing exponentially the the way that the workplace has changed is now that's accelerated those sorts of plans everything is changing constantly yeah. so and um yes it absolutely will impact but i think it's an exciting place to be for the right professional and, and this has is the actually- right attitude
1: This is interesting because this has gone down the point that I had previously about qualifications. So the way we currently train our safety professionals is very focused on each individual component, each technical individual component, understand the ins and outs of of this process, of this process, of this process, and so on. Uh, And I actually think we let ourselves down because actually if we focus on the fundamentals of what we're trying to do here, which is understand work, assess risk, interpret legislation and, and professional and expert guidance and then um, combine all three of those together and communicate that out to the workforce and make sure that it works if we focus on those four kind of things or maybe a bit more which are inherently got foundations in the softer side of skills mm. give or take the risk as you know good risk management and, and interpreting legislation and understanding law that I cast them as technical actually the technical skills that we've got what are they like i my technical skills have all come from talking to the shop floor who are the actual experts on the on the technical skills the people that have worked with those palletizers or worked with the machine they're the technical experts and then taking what they've told me and reading the acop and the legislation and going where do these two worlds merge together yeah. yes they do merge together here but this is this is not merging they go back to the shop floor and say what about this bit how do we think if we focus on those, then actually, in my opinion, we become so much more dynamic and any of those digitalizations or any kind of, you know, AI or any new risks that comes up, we become much more dynamic to be able to pivot to those because COVID, for example, is no different from any other risk in the business. It just means we need to learn specifically about that risk in that moment and how that impacts us there and, and off we go. So we focus on interpreting legislation, interpreting guidance, understanding our business and having the soft skills to communicate it back out to the business and make sure that it works.
2: Yeah. But, but isn't, isn't the challenge though, James, when that technology is new into a factory? Sorry, sorry but again. Isn't it isn't the challenge when that technology is new into the factory that you don't have the shop for experience to go to, that then you've got to rely upon the information that comes from the, the service provider, the people that actually install that. Quite often they can be overseas. So for yeah. instance, the automatic palletizers that come from Italy.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's where I think that, yeah. that's where I think the shift of us going from being perceived as experts to actually being perceived as facilitators, like my that's job a good point. in that yep. is that's to a good point. Yes. facilitate the expert and the shop floor ah. staff, the the person that's going to be working on that palletizer, and go right what does this product do? Can you tell my guys and my guys turn around or girls and turn around and say back to this expert, how does this work? I facilitate that process and make sure that the legislation works as well. So for me, I don't see me as an expert in any way, shape or form. I'm a facilitator
0: yeah for for me it's also about it being more holistic and getting safety built into the procurement side of things because then when you're looking at supply chain and you're looking at bringing these sorts of things in it it's already part of the process you're not bringing these these bits of equipment in and starting completely from scratch it's built into it so so for me procurement supply chain health and safety i mean that all goes completely hand in hand
1: yeah definitely definitely yeah And all you do now is just ring your safety professional and go, we're going to, we're thinking about buying this. And nine times out. It's communication
0: though again, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly what we said. Exactly, And and it's
1: powerful. If you get the shop floor and put them in that that design meeting or that procurement meeting, you watch what happens. And I've seen it. We got the operational staff. I'm conscious we're coming up on time as well, but I remember I got the operational staff into a design meeting for a block of flats. I said, "Well, I want you to come in this room and talk to the design people. We're building a building. We're going to build it so that it works. We're not going to build ourselves more problems for yeah. this <laughs> operational team and me to help. You know, for us all to deal with. We're gonna we're gonna nail this out before we even start putting bricks and mortar together. Get them in the room. And here's just one example. A huge problem we have we used to have in Haldim was people." customers putting shoes and doormats and shoe racks in the communal space, which is a fire's escape, right?
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Nightmare. Because sometimes a doormat, yeah, take it or leave it, but the doormat becomes your your, your shoe rack, which becomes your shoes, which becomes your, your kids' toys, which then air in your, your laundry out there. It just gets <laughs> crazy, right? And it's just a weekly thing that operational people in housing deal with all the time. So get them into the design meeting. How do we fix this problem? And the design yeah. team turned around and said, okay, well, let's have a look at, at the kind of floor that we put. And I'm and my role in this process, facilitating it. I'm just asking those open mm-hmm. questions. What can you do here? What's this? Tell me about your problem. What about this? I'm playing devil's advocate and just playing with it. And they turn around and they go, well, actually, all of our flats have a really lush carpet on the hallway. And that's it. That's all they have is just this carpet. So no wonder they want to keep their shoes out in the hallway okay, so can we do something about that design team? Well, yeah, we can give them hardware. We can give them a big mat well. We can give them loads of stuff. We just solved one of our biggest problems in Halden just by getting the right people in the right room and asking some open questions.
0: It it all harks back to something Richard said right at the beginning, which was about people working in silos and why that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, James, you and I have talked about this a lot. Health and safety people previously we did used to sort of silo ourselves off and that's just not that's just not something we can do moving forward for this exact reason it's all about yeah communication key word for the day there you go Definitely.
1: <laughs> i'm conscious we've come up on time and, and we got to shoot so is there any kind of closing thoughts you want to say before you say bye and give us a shout out to your company any kind of closing thoughts on our conversation me or of, richard either of you either of you any <laughs> kind of thoughts that you thought. Well, uh, ladies, go
0: first. For me, look, I, I, you know, we we kind of kept saying it, but it's it, it's interesting that every conversation we're kind of having is coming back to the key things about us being more open, about us sharing best practice, sharing innovation, having those conversations, changing the way we approach things. Mm. That that's just huge for me. That's the way we have to do things moving forward to be able to make the industry better in in any. In any way at all, um, and this this conversation, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I think we could have talked about this for about three hours yeah. <laughs> quite easily. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on, Richard. If you want to give us a shout out yeah, to your company, and
2: well, well, I, I tell you, what, I just might I'll make one comment to, to sum up. Um, um, when I talked to Simon, my my health and safety lead, I asked him one of the the key things that uh, um, is needed in the health and safety world today, and he said to be agile perfect um, yeah to, to to you know to think to think differently so so look, thanks very much for, for allowing me to come on um, the British Frozen Food Federation we're a, a, bit, a bit like James's Federation we're, we're a bit different uh, our members are very varied so we've got all the big retailers so some of the big retailers people like Asda, Iceland, Aldi uh, we've got manufacturers people like Nomad right down to small companies mm. small one man bands so the only common thing is they all sell frozen food um, we, we're a fantastically diverse industry uh, we are an industry that has the ability to help the environment we can reduce food wastage in an amazing way whether it's a consumer or whether it is a professional kitchen Um, but I think one of the challenges that all of our members face is there is going to be more and more legislation whether that's around health and safety whether that's around packaging whether that's around environmental concerns um, and I think that's the role that federations play—that we can help and support our members face those challenges. Um, so that's the end of the advert for the B Triple <laughs> If you're interested, very well sold. Uh, please, please, please look us up. Uh, we'd be delighted to talk to anyone who's in the frozen food family. Thank you.
1: That was great. Thank you both. And and not to give another advert to another trade association, but but just actually to give an advert to trade associations in general. I never really considered them at all in my entire career unless I wanted some really specific industry advice about something um, until I worked at one. And now working at one, the power of them, or not power, the potential is a better word. The potential yeah. of a trade association, the potential of the community that you can build being a member of the trade association, for me, is, is underrated in our country. And I think, actually, the, the potential I see that we could have and the other trade associations, like the, the BFF, British
2: British B- Federation with B- B- a- a- yeah. it. Try saying it on, st- on stage when you're trying to do a presentation. <laughs> really difficult. BFFF. Um, BFFF,
1: yeah. And, and, and all the others out there, they do some amazing work. And actually, the power of getting, to mm-hmm. your point, Richard, to getting loads of different diverse members in a room talking about one problem, be it the environment, sustainability, waste, recycling, that's how you solve problems. He's yeah. getting diverse people in a room and said, so "How can we as an industry fix this problem?" You get them together, and I, I just—I'm so impressed with the power of trade trade association. I just hope that we take them more seriously. They—they're not—they're not old men in smoking jackets anymore. They're potential <laughs> communities that can drive change.
2: Well, I don't know. Why I'm old. <laughs>
1: Have you still got your smoking jacket? No. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for uh, both of your time. Excuse, Sorry about my little soapbox for trade associations. Bye. I think they've got a lot of potential. Um, so thank you, Richard. And thank you again, Laura.
0: Laura, hey, do you want to nice. give us a
1: quick, very, very quick insight into who we're having next?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do it uh, very speedily. It's a gentleman called Paul Ryder, who's coming on the next episode. He is the CEO of uh, Government Facilities Services Limited. So it's a government led FM services company. So just a, a completely different perspective again from uh, from Janet in the first one, from Richard in this one. Um, and yeah, fantastic guy again, really charismatic. So we'll I think we'll go on completely different rabbit holes with, with Paul. And um, so looking forward to it.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, thank you both for your time. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that episode. That was a penultimate episode of the quarterly co-host. Got one more to come from Laura. And then next time, next month, when we have our quarterly co-host, I'll tell you what's coming up on the next one as well. But for now, I'll catch you later. Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance, HSC Subscription Service, website in the description below. Don't forget to check out projectmeletium.com or message me if you want a free trial for one of our calls. Don't forget, if you want some more work from us at Rebranding Safety, go to www.rebrandingsafety.com. We can help you with podcasts, with webinars. We can help you with any form of safety media. Just drop us a message. But if you want something different for your event, like it blogging, or you want to have a keynote, we can do that for you as well. Or maybe you're selling a brand, you're selling a service, and you want a bespoke video for that, you want to do some influencer marketing, then why not come to Rebranding Safety? I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source
0: information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced,
1: stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James. McPherson.